Good morning, everyone. It's Sunday again. We get to be together. That's a good thing. I love Sundays. Do you love Sundays? It's good to get together. Have you ever felt in life like God is absent from that season? That maybe a, a, a time in your life that you uh, entered into, maybe you can think back to it and you can say, I don't, I don't sense God. I didn't sense God in that uh, season of time. Uh, and then maybe later on you did kind of get to see, right? That he was there. He was working. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you walked through the doors today and maybe that's you even right now. Like, I don't sense God. I feel like he's maybe even absent from my life at this moment, right? And I think there are times that we can go through life and sense that. And um, am I alone in feeling like that? Anybody else ever felt like that? Be, be courageous today, you know, it, it, it's okay. Uh, we all sense and go through some of those same things, right? And, uh, and so, you know, I mean, honestly, I can I mean, even, even in, in ministry, you know, there are times that Kim and I uh, went into different places and, uh, you know, multiple times that we went into places and it was like, okay, you know, we, we believed that God wanted us there and yet sometimes at the, in the beginning it was tough, you know. It was just hard in those first, uh, you know, days and, and months and sometimes even longer than that, right? And so it was difficult. And uh, I can remember, uh, you know, going into certain places and we would sit down and, and sometimes, uh, you know, the, the, usually it happened like this. The first night we would go in somewhere and we would, you know, people would meet, we'd greet, you know, meet the people and everything. And then sometimes we would sit down and, and that night we would just like cry together because it was like, what are we doing, you know? Like this, it, we, it just felt lonely, right? You ever had those times where it just felt lonely? And, uh, and, and I, you know, we've been there and we've done that and maybe you've been there and done that as well and in a different maybe sense, in a different way, but felt that as well. And, you know, the book of Esther is, is this book where, you know, we don't read about, we talked about this last week, we don't read about the name of God in it. We don't see people... Uh, praying all the time and, and, you know, really pressing into prayer or doing these super ultra spiritual things. We don't see that, actually. We don't read about it in it. Uh, and yet, uh, we do see the hand of God at work in it uh, the entire time, right? And we see it more at the end, right? <laughs> this is the reality of life is we see it more at the end like, okay, but does that make it super easy when we're walking through the midst of it? No. No, it doesn't, right? So last week, we kind of set the scene for where we are in our uh, great lives from God's Word. We are in Esther, and, um, you know, Esther's an interesting uh, book, and, uh, and so we're reading through it, and it's more, you know, I, I've found Esther to be more uh, about the bigger picture of it all rather than, you know, specifically pointing out Esther's life itself, but... Uh, but it's such a great uh, overall story, and there's so much in it, and it spe you know, speaks so much to who God is. And, and, uh, and that's what I find as I read through it is it might not be so much about Esther's specific life, though she does do some, some uh, courageous things, as, even as we'll find out today, but, but it's really about 
seeing God in his entirety, right? And what, how he works and what he does. And so last week we set the scene for uh, where we are here. Um, the culture of Persia, uh, a very uh, big kingdom, right? Of the king Ahasuerus uh, in, as his uh, Persian name or Xerxes as his Greek name. Uh, he had a, the Persians had a big kingdom, uh, King Ahasuerus had a big ego, and uh, he threw a big party. How many of us remember from last week? He threw a giant party that lasted 180 days. So, six-month party, and then another seven-day party after that. But all of these things, uh, you know, big mistake. We find a big mistake in the king's part as well, right? If you remember this, uh, you, the story, you remember that he got, uh, had a little bit too much to drink, right? His heart was merry with wine, uh, if you recall. That's a nice way of putting it. Uh, uh, and then so he sent for Queen Vashti, and she refused to come. So he banished her from his presence from then on. She could not come before the king again, right? And so we read about that. And as I read about that more even this past week, it didn't mean that she would be banished from everything, right? I, I, as I read about it, it wasn't so much that she would be thrown out and never to be heard from or seen again, but she was not able to come before the king. And so what her life would be from that point out would be destined to being part of the house of the concubines, Okay, so if you go and read about this, it's more that she would be, you know, there was a house with lots of concubines for the king, and many of them just lived in this portion of the, king, of the, uh, you know, of the capital there and, and of the palace, and they didn't get to come before the king unless, what? He summoned them. He called for them. And so because this decree was put in place that she could never come before the king again, her life was now hanging out with all of the rest of the concubines or harem or whatever, you know, in this other part. And so, um, that's kind of, if you can imagine, anybody here like to watch The Bachelor? Yeah, thank God, me neither. But, but let me just say, The Bachelor is like, think about The Bachelor, you know, if the, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he gives roses. Is that right? Does anybody know this for a fact? Right, he gives roses. Is that right? Anybody? Okay. Thank you. Joelle's the only one brave enough to say anything. So she's seen it. Okay. So he gives roses to the ladies, right? And they get, you know, further or further along and the other ones get knocked off or whatever. I don't know. However it works. But, but imagine that all of them, once they got thrown off, like, ah, you're not going to get picked. Imagine if they all had to stick around forever around The Bachelor, right? They all, oh, you're you know, we didn't choose you, but here you go. Here's your runner-up prize. You get to live with all these other ladies forever, right? So uh, that's, think about it in terms of that. It's kind of similar if you think about it. The runners-up didn't get to go home and live their lives anymore. They became this, there was this existence there with the rest of these ladies, which honestly um, is the Bible's very open and, about man's uh, uh, difficulties and perversions, right? And this is one of those things. The Bible doesn't uh, say this is a good thing. It just says this is what happened in the Persian culture in this kingdom. And guess what? It was a sexual perversion. That's just the reality of it. So, I don't want to mince words about that. The Bible doesn't claim that's good. It's not. Kim and I watched uh, 
One Night with the King last Sunday night. Anybody ever seen that movie, One Night with the King? It's a, uh, a movie about the life of Esther and, the, and King Ahasuerus. And, uh, and so we watched it, and it was nothing like <laughs> what the Bible uh, shows it. It was like we were so disappointed. Uh, it made it out to be this great love story, you know, where the king was just trying to win her heart, and she was, and all these things. But again, the Bible describes it much differently than that. This was not some wonderful love story of two hearts that are falling in love, and it's, you know, it's not, you know, uh, some sort of, of modern-day uh, romantic comedy movie or anything like that. But uh, it's not so much a love story if we're being honest, right? The king showed favor to Esther, and we read that in Esther 2.17, that uh, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And so if we're not careful, we can be like, oh, in his heart, he loved Esther so much, he just wanted to win her heart over and all this stuff. But if you go and you do a word study, now let me just encourage you here, do, you know, stop when you're reading the Bible, and if something stands out to you, a word or a phrase or whatever, go do some research on it. Find out about it. Ask questions as you read it. If you want to grow, uh, the most I've ever grown in my walk is when I studied Scripture and I started doing that. I started stopping, taking time to look up words and find out what they meant and learn about it in its own context. And so... The word love here doesn't mean that his heart went pitter-patter for her. Uh, what it means is that he lusted for her. Okay, the reality of it, uh, we're all adults in this room, so um, the reality of it is that it means that he had an appetite for her or an attraction for her more than any other woman that came before him uh, that day or in that, you know, in that time. And so when he saw her, he had a, a sexual appetite for her. That's what this means, okay? So let's not try to make Esther out to be some love story, you know, where the king is pursuing her heart and all of these things. Uh, the king is sexually perverse, bottom line, okay? Have I spent enough time on that? All right. Here we go. So uh, this is not so much about a love story. It's about God using Esther to accomplish saving the Jews from extinction for such a time as this. And when we read Scripture, we would do well to come to it and see what it tells us about God first, rather than, how, what can I get for this for me, 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 me? What does it tell me about God first and foremost? And that really is what this is about, God's uh, overarching plan, right? Uh, what He is doing. So Esther was selected as queen last week. Esther's cousin Mordecai learns of the plot to kill the king and turns uh, in the conspirators to Esther. The, if you remember at the gate, remember those two guys that were uh, at the king's court? They, they were at the king's gate and they were plotting to kill him. Mordecai hears this, tells Esther. She then goes and uh, tells the king and uh, those two guys are hung um, and also, that is recorded then in writing, and that's going to be important as we go along in this story. Haman, the Agagite, if you recall, why is that important? Anybody? Anybody who was here last week? Haman, the Agagite, what does that mean? He's a descendant of King Agag, right, who was the Amalekite king, 
and ultimately the Amalekites and the Jewish people were, the Israelites were what? Were they best buddies and friends? They really loved each other? No, they were enemies. And ultimately King Saul defeated, and the Israelites defeated the Amalekites, and he was supposed to destroy King Agag, but he didn't. And thus, there are descendants that he didn't kill all of them off. And so, there's these descendants now that are looking to ultimately then destroy all of the Jewish people. And so, it's just another layer to this plot, okay, to this story that we find here. So, we see that uh, he was an, uh, an Agite and he was promoted by King Ahasuerus, right? He was promoted, and we see that Haman is not such a great guy. Has anybody got that so far? He's not such a great guy. Uh, and also, we see that the king gave him authority. We don't know anything about this guy, why it was given to him, but the king gave him authority. And it's an interesting contrast. Mordecai uh, found out something and told the king about it. But, uh, and, and he's not uh, elevated to anything, but here's Haman, the Agagite, who is promoted for no reason at all, which is another interesting side piece as well. But uh, our, our, you know, on, a, on a side note in this, uh, we see that authority went to his head, right? Authority went to Haman's head. And I would say this uh, for ourselves even today. Our inner character will always rise to the top for people to see. What's inside of us will always rise to the top. And nowhere is it more true than when authority is given to someone, right? When authority is given to someone. And maybe we need to ask ourselves the question, how do I handle authority? How do I handle authority? Do I lord it over the people and, and you know, cause people to to be under my, my authority and really lord that over them? Or do I share it? Do I use my authority to serve other people? You know, those are great questions for us to ask. And Haman receives this great promotion. He receives authority. And, uh, and what he ends up doing is using it against the people and causing them to come and bow before him as, he come, as they come through the gate. And, you know, the reality of Haman is he's so vain, he probably thinks this life is about him, right? I was going to sing that, but I won't. So. <clears throat> so he is filled with vanity, He's filled with vanity, and he's ultimately then filled with fury when Mordecai refuses to bow down to him. And this is kind of where we pick up today in, I think that's where we uh, ended last week in our, in our conversation, but because of the fact uh, that day that Mordecai refuses to bow down, Haman hatches a plan, right? He hatches this plan, and his plan is as follows. First, select the day, and they cast lots, which is kind of like dice, and they cast lots to determine the day of the Jews' destruction. That's what he does. The word per, they cast per or lots. The word per means lots, and it's what's used uh, for the word purim, uh, which is the Jewish festival that we see, uh, you know, implemented in Esther 9.26 and, uh, and is still uh, something that the Jewish people do, right? They celebrate Purim, and that is that, that, uh, this saving of the Jewish people from this book. So they cast Pur, 
for 12 months, we read in this, right? They cast pur or lots for 12 months. And so Haman would have a long time to hold this grudge against Mordecai and anticipate revenge, right? That's never a good thing when you have that long and you're thinking about revenge and holding this grudge against somebody. That's never a good thing. But that's where Haman was. And so uh, Esther 3, 8 through 11, we're going to go ahead and read here. Esther 3, 8 through 11. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, right? There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws so that it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. Uh, let's see here. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they, might, uh, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took the signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. And the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems good to you. So here Haman comes to the king and he uh, asks for permission, right? Permission. And he offers uh, to give the king money in place of what he would lose from the Jews giving their money uh, to the treasuries. And so this, on a side note, this wouldn't be money that came from his own pocket. Guess where it would come from? All of the Jews that they took their stuff from and then they sold it off and got money from all of their uh, land and whatever other possessions they had. So he was going to give money back to the kingdom, but from those Jews that he was going to demolish and do away with, right? So uh, from all the plundered, uh, you know, stuff from the Jews. So King Ahasuerus okayed the plan, and it's interesting, he gave up his signet ring to Haman uh, here. And this could be understood, I, I believe, as the king giving up his actual responsibility, right? His actual responsibility in this matter. And he probably didn't even fully understand exactly, you know, what was going on because Haman told him, hey, there's some people in your kingdom. Uh, there's these people in your kingdom. He didn't say, hey, it's the Jews, right? He just said, these people in your kingdom. And so, I'm not so sure that the king actually knew exactly what he was okaying and didn't fully understand that Haman planned to kill off an entire group of people. Uh, so, but with his signet ring, Haman's word was now to be taken as if it was the word of the king himself, right? You know, everything moving forward, as long as he had the ring, it was as though the king was okaying every last thing that he wanted to see happen. And so, true to the king's character, as with Queen Vashti, uh, he acted quickly without consideration. So quickly, and he didn't, uh, I would say even rashly, right? Quickly and rashly in here. And I wonder if as we look at that, on a side note, maybe we can learn something from this, right? Maybe we can take something from this, that acting quickly and rashly often ends with regret. 
Maybe you've experienced that in life at some point. You made a decision that afterwards you were walking out the consequences, and guess what? There was a little bit of regret, right? Like, mm, I don't know so much about that. See, uh, and, and, you know, maybe it was, I mean, whatever the decision was. I remember this. When I was 18, I got my one and only tattoo, which happens to be right down here on my leg. And here's the reality. I'm just going to tell you straight up. It was the uh, album cover for Motley Crue's Theater of Pain album, okay? And, uh, and so it has the, two, the happy and sad faces. And on the album cover, one of them has a pentagram in its forehead. And so even as an 18-year-old idiot, and I was, uh, I said, I don't think I want that pentagram on my skin for the rest of my life. And so I said, let's take that out. So some decisions you can look back on and say, thank God I had, you know, the idea to not do that. Uh, but there are a lot of things that we can make a quick or rash decision that afterwards we walk out the consequences. And by the, by the time we're walking them out, we realize, dang, I wish I would have made a different decision on that one, right? Anybody else ever been there? Man, I, I think it happens frequently. And so we have to be a little careful, and we can learn from this. Don't make quick or rash decisions, but think through things, and something for us all to consider and think about. But true to the king's character, what, what we've seen, this is what he does, right? Esther 3, 12 through 15, uh, we're going to go ahead and read and talk about that. It says, Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors over the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers into the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews. Boy, they were really going to get the job done. Young and old women and children in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree to every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. A decree was put out, and the word was spread, right? They sent this out to every province, every part of the kingdom in their own writing and in their own language. Everything was to be shared in that way. And this decree stated that in one day, all of the Jews in the province were going to be killed off. They were to be annihilated, killed off, done away with. I think that's what it says. They really were going to take care of the business there, right? So then chapter 3 ends, as we just saw, with King Ahasuerus and Haman sitting down for a nice drink together, right? And uh, so the capital, here they are, sitting down to a nice drink together, relaxed, taking it easy. The whole capital city, it says, was thrown into great confusion. So they don't know what's going on. Like, what is happening here? But the king and Haman are just fine, having a little cocktail together, right? So this law was written, dispersed, and to be carried out in just one day. And it, as I was putting this together, I, I really felt like the Lord just stopped me, and he's like, you know, a lot can take place in one day, amen? 
Now, whether that is good or bad, a lot can take place in one day. And maybe, just maybe, one of the things we can consider in this is that even one day, like if we uh, set our hearts and minds on God's Word and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives to see what good He may want to do, in one day, there could be a lot of good done. Amen? He could do a lot of work through all of us if we are obedient to Him who lives in us, right? The Holy Spirit leading and guiding us. And so, you know, that's just what struck me on this. Though Haman set something in motion that was not good, like I wonder what God might want to do through all of us if we listen to Him, if we listen to the leading of His Spirit in our lives, and we were acquainted with His Word uh, every day. See what I mean? Amen? Are you with me? Are you still awake? Okay. While all of this looks pretty bleak, God's fingerprints had already been in place, right? Preparing what he would set into motion and to see accomplished. And in chapter 4, we see that Mordecai learns of Haman's entire plan. And he mourns as the Jewish would mourn, right? He tore his clothes, he put on sackcloth, and he covered his head in ashes is what we read about here. But he also, it specifically points out, he did it in the midst of the city. That's an interesting thing to me. We read that in chapter 4, verse 1. And he even did it at the king's own gate. Now, if anyone didn't already know he was Jewish, they certainly would now, right? <laughs> that was part of the deal. So when Esther hears that Mordecai is at the king's gate and he's in mourning and he's dressed like this and he's got ashes on his head, uh, she sends clothes to him, right? Get these clothes, send them out to him uh, to, you know, cover him up, get him, get him into something different, right? So she sends these clothes, but what we read about in Scripture is that he refuses the clothes that are sent to, to him. And now, you know, I don't know, whatever that is, sends clothes and I would have kept the shoes and sent the clothes back or whatever, but, but she, that's what happens, right? So she sends him down there and he refuses because there's no amount of clothes, no amount of, you know, gifts that could cover or hide the sorrow that he was now experiencing and, and wanting people to know, right? So I don't know about you, but I thought, you know, much like our own lives, we, sometimes we try to hide our uh, you know, the things that are wrong in life, things are going wrong, we can try to hide that with spending and buying and purchasing stuff, you know, and well, this will make me feel better if I go out and buy this or buy that or, or whatever, uh, and, and it never does, right? H have you ever experienced that where you tried to go out and, and, and buy something to make you really happy because you weren't happy and it didn't work? Anybody else in here? <sighs> yeah, so uh, we have to be reminded that no amount of spending can bring peace to our lives. But only leaning on our Heavenly Father and experiencing Him move in our lives and our circumstances, right? In His timing, doesn't always happen immediately, but in His timing and in His way, working things out for good. Because that's what we know. That's what the book of Esther tells us about, is that God in His timing and in His way will eventually work things out for good. And only that, and only knowing that and leaning on that can help us in our deepest times of sorrow. That's a reality. So Mordecai reaches out to Esther via the uh, eunuch that was uh, at, the, uh, um, you know, at the citadel there. 
and the the citadel is just the you know the building there the the kingdom you know right there where the the palace where the king would be and so she responds by sending a message to cousin Mordecai and she uh, that said you know she could be killed if she went to the king and also that she hadn't been called to him in a month now right and uh, and so we kind of get the picture here that this wasn't the fairy tale that sometimes people make it out to be. Again, we see another, uh, another time here where it's like, okay, this wasn't such a great fairy tale or, or love story. Um, you know, she had not been in his presence for a month now. So maybe in the beginning, uh, you know, he really enjoyed having her around, but now it seems to be working towards, eh, you know, she can go over to the house of the concubines, right? So... Um, at this point, Mordecai, when she says this and replies through the eunuch to Mordecai, he could have just said, you know, I gave it my all. I tried as hard as I could. I went to the city gate. I mourned. I put ashes on my head. I, you know, did all these things. I sent a message to the queen, and this is not going to work. So I did all I could, right? I did everything I could. And, and, but instead, he replies to her one more time, right? He sends one more reply to her. And we're going to read it in Esther 4, 13, and 14. Uh, Esther 4, 13, and 14. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. And here's his reply. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance for all the other Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So when Esther hears this reply, she takes it to heart. And verses 15 and 16 say this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. Uh, I, uh, Night or day, I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though, uh, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had told him. Mordecai expressed his concern. He explained that the peril that they're in and exhorted the queen to act. And if all the Jews were to be killed, she would not be spared as well, right? Don't think for a moment that you'll live through this yourself, uh, he says. So uh, if she didn't act, Mordecai knew, and, and I think this is interesting, if she didn't act, Mordecai knew that as God's people under the Abrahamic covenant, that he would find another way to save the Jews from annihilation. That, that he would indeed have, that would be a plan in his providence, would have something lined up to save them. But he also expressed that her being in the palace was no accident, right? He says, for such a time as this, God had orchestrated you to be in there. Could it be that for such a time as this, you are in there uh, Esther, could it be? And so he hadn't outright said, God has put you there, Esther, right? He didn't say that, but his statement amounted to that. 
And he knew if Esther would simply look over the bigger picture of all that had transpired and taken place, that uh, she would surely see this to be true. And so I got to thinking about that even in our lives. I stepped back and I was like, okay, I stopped and I started thinking, I wonder if we can say that too. I wonder if we can say we see the bigger picture, we see the whole story. Sometimes we're so close to everything that we don't tend to look at that. We're just looking at the one thing or the two things that are in our lives that are happening right at the moment and we don't see God there, we don't see him moving or we don't see him in the midst of it and it frustrates us, right? We get frustrated about it. And yet, if we will pull ourselves away from uh, looking so closely at that one or two things, if we'll pull ourselves away, we will be able to see that God is moving uh, in a way that is bigger than just that one or two things. And so we would do well to pull ourselves away and see the bigger picture quite frequently and quite often. That God is orchestrating something bigger. And so, as I look back, uh, you know, again, over hurts and struggles and difficult things that we've been through, uh, God has used those things as a means to prepare for what is ahead. And sometimes until you are facing that thing, you say, okay, this is why I had to walk through all those things. And so, you know, sometimes it takes that amount of time. But God is preparing us always through every circumstance, through every difficulty, through every hardship that we face, God has a bigger plan, and we know that later, but it's hard in the moment to see that. And I wonder, can we see that? Can we see that? So Esther makes a decision to act, which reminds me that God uses people, okay? God's plan, it, it's His overarching plan, and it's, He's going to see it work out, but oftentimes He doesn't just like you know, stick his hand down and say, all right, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it because you guys aren't doing it right and fix everything. He uses people to do that. And so Esther makes the decision to act, right? To put herself in danger for the sake of all the Jews. That it was, she sees that it was no accident that she was queen and now she's going to act. And so on the third day after fasting, Esther goes before King Ahasuerus and the drama is thick, right? The drama here is thick in it. Will he raise the scepter, sparing her life, or will he you know, not and allow her to meet her death uh, just as the law required? You know, so we read this and we're like, what's gonna happen, right? So Esther 5, one through three. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And so she... Was that, was that all I was going to read, or what? <laughs> one through three? <laughs> Where am I? Okay. Uh, and, and he held out in her hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even to the half of my kingdom, right? Even up to half of the kingdom. So the plan is in place here. Uh, she lives, number one, she lives, right? 
she lives. So no more drama. We know she lives in this, okay? So verses 4 through 8 follow. We're going to go ahead and read that, verses 4 through 8. And Esther said, If it please the king, let king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So, that the, so the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. And Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. So the plan is to have one more banquet. This kingdom loves parties, man. Like just party after party after party. And, uh, and so here they are, one more banquet to go to the next day for Esther, Haman, and King Ahasuerus. It's do or die time for them all together, right? It's do or die time. So A.W. Tozer said of God's sovereign purposes that it's like an ocean liner headed from New York City to Liverpool, England. And this is what he said. The mighty liner of God's sovereign design keeps its steady course over the sea of history. God moves undisturbed and unhindered towards the fulfillment of those eternal purposes in Christ Jesus before the world began. See, God's never in a hurry to fulfill His plan. You and I want to make... Uh, his plan hurry up pretty frequently, right? We generally want to speed things up because that's just the way we are. We think time's running out. Our lives are short, you know. We're here for a scratch and then we're gone. But the reality of it is God doesn't just, He doesn't think in those terms. We think in terms of days and months and years and God thinks in terms of generations and His plan, right, for eternity, and so we think differently, but he's not in a hurry to fulfill his plan. He waited three years into the king's reign before Vashti was removed, another four years for Esther to become queen, the king's twelfth year uh, for the plan of Haman to be hatched, and then another year from there for it to be set in motion and frankly, we think, wow, all this time, like all this bad stuff happened. But here's the, the deal. God knew the whole time, right? He knew all of that, and he's not in a giant hurry to get things right. He could have fixed it day one. He could have. But instead, everything went the direction it did, and for good reason as well. One of my favorite uh, commentators, uh, he's, he was a pastor and uh, wrote commentators his name's Warren Wiersbe, and he, his commentaries are called Be Whatever. Like for every book of the Bible, uh, you know, like Philippians is Be Joyful, you know. And so, uh, and it's, he's got really great perspectives on things that I like to go to and read about. But he writes this, Only a sovereign God is great enough to decree freedom of choice for men and women, and only a sovereign God could fulfill His wise and loving purposes in this world and even make evil cooperate in producing good. The question is not, is God in control of the world? 
but is God in control of my life? Are we cooperating with Him so that we are part of the answer and not part of the problem? This is what he wrote. God's sovereign plan is ever working, and He uses people like you and I to work it out if He will have control of our lives, but will He have control of our lives? Will we give Him that control of our lives and be used for His purposes? Just like we see with the king and Esther and Mordecai and Haman and all the people in this story, whether they had good or bad in mind, God used it all for His eternal purposes. And so all of them walked out their part of God's unfolding plan. So will you and I do the same is kind of the question. Will we do the same? Does God have control of your life in the midst of the craziness around us in this world? Has anybody noticed that the world's a little crazy these days? Now, I caution myself in that because the world's always been a crazy place. There's, I mean, read Esther, <laughs> you know. Is it any different today? Uh, one pastor I listen to likes to say, the Bible doesn't just t tell us what happened it tells us what always happens, right? It tells us what always happens because there's so much that's working towards evil in this world, and yet God is still in control of people, whether it be evil that they seek or good that they seek. And His eternal plan will be accomplished. But will we let Him use our lives for good? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that you do have a, an eternal plan that is working out. God, we can trust you with it, that we can lean on you and trust you. When we lean on ourselves and our own understanding, it will uh, crumble and falter. But when we lean on you and your understanding and your eternal uh, providential plan, we can trust you. You're a God of eternity. And we are people that are here for a scratch and then gone, but you are eternal and your eternal plan is working out. Lord, use us. Help us to be people who say yes. Use us for your plan. We are available and open and ready to be used by you. And so, Lord, thank you. God, if there be anybody here far from you, I pray again today as we do every week, that, Lord, you would draw them to yourself through Jesus Christ, through the, the Holy Spirit drawing them to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, providing the way, the way to be with you and to be made right and to be made new in our spirit. Lord, would you draw them to yourself? God, we always, as always, we want to see lives changed. We want to see families changed and generations changed to follow you and to say, yeah, we're being used by God for his eternal plan. And so, Lord, would that be true in this place? Would we be people who surrender our lives to you uh, every day for that matter uh, and die to ourselves daily and to pick up our cross and to follow after you every day with every decision, uh, no matter where we are, Lord? We pray that we would be people that do that. And so thank you for what we are learning through this, uh, the lives that we find in the book of Esther. Lord, 
I pray that we would all be people who go back this week and who read it on our own and to, who seek you and, um, and that you would speak to us even to a greater degree uh, as we read it and study it and ask you about it and, and listen to your voice. Lord, that is uh, such a joy to be able to do. So may we be people who do that, God. So we are grateful uh, for your presence here with us, God, for your eternal plan and uh, for salvation through Jesus Christ always. We're so grateful for that. We pray these things together this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, everyone. It's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue Him.